Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today is December 31st, 2023, and I've been reflecting a lot this last week about just where we're at right now in our ministry and realizing that I've, in a lot of ways, we've kind of come full circle to how we started years ago in 1981, 1982, when um, we first traveled to Central America and felt called to, you know, to serve people outside the church. And we were inspired a lot by the movement of um, what was happening in the Catholic Church and in some Protestant churches in Latin America through the liberation theology movement. And uh, I remember reading um, Gustavo Gutierrez and some of the other theologians of liberation prior to my trip and and then just being inspired to um, submerge myself in the context of poverty and oppression and read the Bible in those settings. And it was 1981 in Guatemala when I began to do that and felt this call to um, to move to Central America. And Gracie and I started Tierra Nueva uh, 41 years ago in uh, 1982 in Honduras. And anyway, I've been reading a book um, by Carolyn Forche called What You Have Heard is True, a memoir of witness and resistance that has just rocked me. It's uh, Carolyn Forche is a poet and wrote extensively about her experiences in Central America in this book, which I highly recommend. And uh, I read it this last month and found myself um, up at night in the middle of the night, like I think it actually stirred up a lot of PTSD type reactions in me just because it depicts a lot of the violence and the fear that people experienced due to the death squads that were uh, at large happening, you know, in, in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador in those years. And we were around in those environments, but um, interspersed in um, her accounts of what was happening in El Salvador in this late 70s early 80s um, are these reflections about her encounters with uh, liberation theology inspired priests and catechists. And so I just want to read a section from her book beginning on page 147 and then reflect a bit on this. Fina spent the morning grinding corn on the metate while I sat on the stool making notes. Then I followed her around as she bathed children, fed hens, slapped clothing on wet rocks, scrubbed pots and plates, gathered dead branches, swept the dirt floor. I was grateful when she gave me some small things to do, and when she slowed her Spanish for me to point at objects and give me the word for them. She had no English and didn't want any. Light poured into the hut through chinks in the lamina and wattle. In the midday, even the animals fell silent, but Fina didn't stop her work. That night it was the same. Beans, tortillas, candlelight. Only this night, Fina said that someone was coming. We would not sleep yet. The candle remained lit. Others arrived, quietly taking their places on benches near the table. The men taking off their straw hats as they sat. The women together, soothing, smoothing their aprons. I heard Fina say that I was a friend of Lionel's, that I was a poet. We waited in the dark around a candle that cast light the size of a supper plate. All stood when a young man in a moonlit shirt ducked under the porch roof. He greeted each individually. 
I thought I heard Fina whisper to him when asked about me, Monja Catolica Estadnisense, American Catholic nun. At this, he nodded and opened the Bible he was carrying. Hermanos y hermanas, he whispered, you are children of God sent to transform the world. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. What is the message of this verse? he asked. Hermanos, hermanas, what do you think? Who are the meek? Who are the captives? Who is bound? Who is in mourning? They answered in hushed voices, la gente, los pobres, the people, the poor, the flame rising, then guttering until another candle was lit from its stump. And in the light of this new candle, every face shone in the dark. The group held hands at the end. Sister, I had gone to a clearing to look at the stars and didn't hear him at first because I'm not a sister. Sister, may I speak with you? English. My name is Innocencio. Well, that is my name in this moment. You can call me Chencho. I want to thank you for being here with us in our community. Do you want to talk for a while? I would be grateful to practice English. We sat on the bench talking and time passed until the last stars were visible. The roosters were awakening when he disappeared into a thick stand of jacaranda and we had smoked almost a pack and I had learned that he had been a seminarian, but had decided not to become a priest. Instead, he became a catechist who traveled from village to village, bringing the word to campesinos on nights such as this. The place I'd been staying was a Christian-based community, he'd say. He'd said, a few of its members had already been killed and found dismembered near the farms where they worked. Others had come upon them and gathered their remains. After that happened, they were willing to die for one another and for those who were already dead. He told me that some of the men had begun sleeping in the mountains so as to not be captured in the night. It was enough, he said, to belong to a Bible study group to be taken, and especially catechists and priests were in danger, and also nuns, he said. I told him I wasn't a nun and that I didn't understand why people thought this. Maybe it's because you smoke, he smiled. There are foreign nuns here and some of them smoke, and they don't wear traditional religious habits like Salvadoran nuns do. You dress like them. And why else would a North American woman be here? He paused for a moment, considering his own question. So if you don't mind me to ask, why are you here? Are you working? Later I would learn that here, working, meant being part of the resistance to oppression. But at that time I thought he was asking if my job had brought me to El Salvador. And I said no, of course, as there was no job in that sense. And I must have mentioned the fellowship and the invitation because he began to appear bewildered for which I couldn't blame him. For some reason, I didn't simply say that I was a poet, as I should have, because that answer would have made more sense to him than anything else. Salvadorans would expect to see poets anywhere. Y por qué? Invited why. You know, I'm not sure. I was told it was because... He was listening more intently now. Was it all right to talk this way? Because war is coming. Who told you this? He said. For some reason, I sensed that I shouldn't say Leonel. I would rather not say, I said. And what does this war that is coming have to do with you? 
Nothing, but my friend asked me to come here to learn as much as I could about the country, so that when the war began I could... Could what? Explain the reasons for the war to the North Americans. Because my friend tells me that this will be important, that the real reasons be known, so that the people of the United States understand. He seemed still to be listening, but a bit warily. I realized how it sounded, what I was saying, because it sounded that way to me too. This, this amigo of yours, why does he care so much about what the North Americanos think? I don't know, but he does. He thinks the U.S. might enter the war on the side of the military. He thinks that this would be a mistake, so he's hoping to prevent it from happening. This last seemed to interest him, but the question stopped. Listen to me, hermana, he said. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and Christ is moving through the world now, through us. He is acting through us in the struggle against injustice, poverty, and oppression. To be with God now is to choose the fate of the poor, to be with them, to see through their eyes and feel through their hearts. And if this means torture and death, we accept. We are already in the grave. A song of insects rose in the underbrush. Uh, cicadas or crickets, a whirring through leaves that swelled as it rose in pitch. It must have been there before, but only now did I hear it, as if I'd been away and had suddenly returned to be standing before this catechist, who had grown visibly younger as he spoke. I handed him the crumpled pack with two remaining cigarettes, and we shook hands. I hope I will see you again, I said. Take care. You too, he said. Y vaya con Dios. His white shirt tacked this way and that among the trees until he disappeared into the darkness, or rather I could no longer see him. I went back to the pallet to sleep, but lay awake. So that selection from this book um, by Carolyn Forche really, really touches me. And um, it reminds me of uh, so many situations. You know, Gracie and I, when we moved to Honduras, we began working, teaching sustainable farming and preventative health. But um, that involved going out into villages and working with campesinos and and the way she describes these people is just so accurate and and just brings me right back there. And a lot of our work in the beginning was all about teaching people nutrition, health, you know, preventative health, education, uh, planting to the contour with, um, you know, uh, systems of organic, you know, French intensive gardening methods and, you know, just... Uh, a lot of what we were teaching was helping people increase their production. And interestingly, now and, you know, many years later, 40 years later, most of the people that we worked with, well, a lot of them are, have passed away. And, but many of their children and grandchildren have come up to the United States or gone over to Spain as immigrants, migrants. You know, it, it hasn't worked, um, the whole development approach, you know, to just teaching people how to live off the land. It, um, you know, the country is in, is in a, almost like a failed state situation. And, 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 and many, many, most people have abandoned um, Honduras. Of course, I guess the majority of Hondurans are still there, but the poverty is extreme. And, and many people are living off of remittances that are sent from, you know, Spain and the U.S. And anyway, the dream that we had of teaching farming, um, in a way that dream died when we were there because we were seeing that people had deeper needs, you know, for knowing that they were beloved 
knowing that God was a good God, 100% for them. You know, a father who was present, unlike a lot of their, them who had not had their biological father with them or had had bad experiences with that father. You know, meeting a Jesus who was there for them, who recruited them, who didn't just recruit priests to, and pastors to be the professional religious class, but was about, you know, just uh, mobilizing a movement of Jesus followers. All of that was stuff that began to grab our attention, and we felt recruited into what we then began to do and have been doing ever since, you know, really going um, out and about um, seeking after lost sheep. You know, we've been moved by that model of Jesus's uh, earthly life in the Gospels, where um, interestingly, Jesus never started a church, did he? At least not an institutional church. He he went from house to house, from village to village. And I just love um, the accounts of the gospel where we see him um, refusing to stay and you know build sort of a megachurch equivalent of his time. Like in Luke chapter four, you know, where he's in Simon's mother-in-law house, you know, he heals her of a, of a high fever. And then all the people when the sun's setting, um, all those who had any who were sick, with various diseases, brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them. He was healing them. And demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And then this part, verse 42, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. So they wanted him to be just with them there in their place, like you know, like start a church maybe. But he said to them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And that's just one example. And there's many other scriptures like that, where Jesus is moving from place to place to place to place. And um, why have we got stuck in this idea of just uh, starting churches that are in sanctuaries, that are in buildings that or use an attractional model. And um, whereas in the Gospels, we see, uh, you know, Jesus sending the 12 out, saying Luke 9, with power and authority and to heal diseases and to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing. And Or then in chapter 10 of Luke, where he sends out the 72 and he um, sends them in pairs and, you know, with nothing. He, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out or to cast out laborers into the harvest. And he sends them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So they go out powerless, you know, without money belt, bags, shoes, um, going from house to house and saying, peace be to this house. You know, like this catechist who didn't become a priest, but was a lay leader. I feel like now is when we need this kind of a movement of just um, non-professional, you know, non-paid ministry people that are willing to go from house to house. And um, really this, even this base community model is a model that could, could serve us in our North American, you know, European and around the world settings. And I feel super inspired just uh, reading this. And I feel like right now, um, rather than just helping people materially, which is what often people are inclined to do because we want to see people's physical needs be met. And of course they need to be met. 
However, like the proclamation of the word, like this catechist was doing, you know, just um, going and, um, and reading the scriptures with people and um, inviting them to reflect on the equivalence of those, um, the gospel in their own settings and in our own lives. I feel like this is what um, is needed. And um, Carolyn Forche in, in this book, and she was basically recruited to be a spokesperson you know, um, to use her ability as um, a poet and writer to make the, the get the news up to North America and to bring to change the policymakers, and that was something that we too were recruited to do. People were telling us, like, if you want to do anything, go back and change your government. Well, I don't believe enough in our government or in our system to believe that that's where the change is going to come from. Even though I do believe we do need to to be about trying to bring justice from from to the to the world and, and we need to call the powerful to account and so I don't give up on that but but I feel like um, we felt a strong calling to not just leave but to stay and to do more of what this uh, catechist was doing going from house to house village to village and interestingly right now um, Gracie and I are are back almost like to where we started doing that almost uh, with most of our time, you know, going into the jails, visiting people one-on-one through the glass in the, in the attorney visitor booths, since they haven't let us back in, into the jail yet again, going uh, out and visiting people in their homes, going out on the streets. And, um, you know, I really feel like this is what is needed as we kind of come into this 2024. You know, my hope would be to really put a lot of energy this year into um, recruiting and training people to bring the good liberating gospel to the people out there. And, um, and that's, what's going to bring about the change. And um, that's what I believe anyway. It's, 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 it's the kind of change that anyway, that I'm interested in. I'm not interested in just everyone becoming, you know, closer to middle-class or everything becoming equal, you know, the rich and the powerful coming equal to the poor, even though that's definitely part of the movement of the kingdom of God is that bringing the powerful down from their thrones and bringing, raising up the, the needy and making them sit with princes, that, that movement will, you know, will, will happen because God's committed to it. But I feel like what is needed right now is just something actually quite simple, which is connecting people to Jesus as the liberating um, savior that he is. And, um, and we need to take this Jesus away from those who claim him as their exclusive, um, you know, kind of possession. You know, the, I think the powerful who are all about um, reigning and ruling and reigning from, you know, from above, who, who believe in the political solution, you know, whether they're on the right or on the left. Um, I think the greatest threat right now comes from the right, you know, people that... Um, have nostalgia for the power that they once had or Christendom once had, and they want to recover that. Um, but they also at the same time are quite concerned about their spiritual security. So they want to make sure they have Jesus on their side and that they're on Jesus's side and they're jumping through all the right hoops. And uh, they claim to be worshiping him, yet they renounce his practices of nonviolence and of enemy love and they don't see that as realistic. And I feel like it's that um, Jesus who is an offense 
you know, really the Jesus of um, that was announced by Sim, uh, Simeon in, you know, and when Jesus, uh, you know, was brought to the temple. And, um, you know, and, and he came and he was brought and presented in the temple. And Simeon, um, he looked, he was looking for the consolation of Israel and says the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is Luke 2, verse 26, 5, 6, 7. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see the death, his see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, that is the Messiah, right? And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father were amazed, a father and mother were amazed at these, the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary, his mother. And this is what I think needs to be taken to heart, this, these next verses, verse, verses. Blessed, or behold, this child, uh, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And I would say in the church for sure too. Many um, among the people of God. So behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in among the people of God. And for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I feel like, um, you know, like, really looking at who Jesus is and what he, how he operated in the Gospels, um, will bring about opposition to Jesus. People will think, well, you know, we can't follow Jesus, like what he says about love of enemies and, and turning the other cheek and uh, blessing those who persecute you. You know, we've got to be realistic. We've got to stop Hamas, or we've got to stop the Israelis. And, you know, we've got to exercise, we've got to use violence if necessary. Well, really then, we're just opposing Jesus, aren't we? Um, or, you know, we got to have churches. It's all about uh, attractional model. It's not about this, you know, this movement-oriented, like, faith where people are just mobilized and they're just doing it uh, out of the goodness of their heart because they're called. It's 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 got to be an organization. It's got to be institutionalized. We've got to be ordaining people and sending people out like the way we've always done it. You know, maybe not. Maybe we need to really recover um, the simple gospel. And um, along those lines, I feel um, excited about some of the books that we're publishing through the People's Seminary Press. Um, a number of books by Daniel Bourget, uh, this one in particular, Encounters with Jesus, is so, so good, um, which can be found on Amazon. And we also have The Humble Divinity of Jesus According to Mark's Gospel, Volume 1 and 2 which uh, are just so outstanding, you know, just uh, like carefully articulated contemplative readings of biblical text in Mark's gospel uh, that show the divinity of Jesus. And then um, the two volumes that we've just published, Philemon of Gaza Meditates Mark's gospel and Philemon of Gaza Meditates Matthew's gospel. I feel like what we need is to be students of Jesus and practitioners also, um, that where we allow ourselves to be mobilized by his way of operating and um, 
and we need we need this desperately right now in our world you know we we're seeing churches a lot of churches being vacated and and the churches that want the political power actually filling up in a lot of cases sadly and so how can we resist that i think we resist it through um you know through taking jesus to the streets uh, not that we have to take him there, but in a way we do because we're mobilized. Jesus mobilized us. He mobilized his disciples and us now to be the carriers of the liberating gospel. So may may God bless you and empower you through the Holy Spirit to engage in this as you feel led. Hopefully you do feel led this 2024 and beyond.